Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation, news, and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this show on Sunday, March 1st, 2020. Very special day, folks. Drew's birthday. Happy birthday, by the way, Drew. Thank you so much, Jim. I am uh, I am one day older and deeper in debt, as the old song goes, that, you know, as you, as you know well... Yes, yes, you know, <laughs> uh, you know the, the interesting thing, it's not just a big day for you, it's a big week, because this Tuesday, March 3rd, your very first book, The Art of Onward, is hitting store shelves. Yes, did you pre-order your copy, Jim? No, 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 I'm doing the support your local bookstore thing. I am literally going out on, <laughs> on Tuesday the 3rd, going to my local Barnes & Noble and buying a copy. Now, my joy, I'm buying in New Hampshire, so I'm not paying sales tax, <laughs> But, you know, but I am buying locally. I'm now, I love it. Uh, you know, and very, very, very much looking forward to to paging through this 176-page hardcover. Well, and, I will and, I will caution people to not look at it until after they watch the movie because they're gonna, you're going to get some things spoiled if you jump the gun. But, uh, yeah. That's a good point. But, a, a good but point. apparently a lot of people went and saw the uh, little sneak they had this past week, so... You know. Speaking of which, we were talking about this earlier. I'm an idiot, okay? I had assumed that the sneak preview would be on Saturday night. So I had some family stuff that I had to do uh, Saturday afternoon, and I was like, okay, cool. I can, you know, now we can go see Onward. And so I start looking for theaters that are having the sneak preview, which they presented at 3 o'clock in the afternoon at every yeah. theater in Massachusetts. Yeah, I think some theaters had a Pixar marathon that they were doing. That because uh, and then onward didn't show. I think until seven or or maybe even nine. Um, okay. But those were those seemingly were few and far between. But yeah, it was sort of weird that it was so early. I think the those screenings had the Simpsons short attached as well. Although I haven't heard anybody talk about it yet. And we will get to we that. We will get to that, the, yes. Uh, but um, uh, let's back up the truck a little bit. I mean, uh, look, I get you've written so many wonderful entertainment-related series over the past decade. I can understand why Chronicle reached out to you to do this book. But can you talk a little bit about how you got this opportunity? Because weren't you initially in the running with a couple of other writers? Uh, yeah, I Pixar uh, was the one that suggested me. Apparently what happened was there was another author on the book and mm. they left. They got another job. And so there was okay. this incredible time crunch. And mm. so Pixar said, well, why don't you call Drew? And so that's what started it. And I sort of had to submit some writing samples. And, mm -hmm. and it also helped that I was up at Pixar all the time anyway for for work, just covering things. And so no, 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 uh, no it was about no this time last year. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, it, w it was well, quick. Well, speaking of quick, though, Drew kind of swore me to secrecy when this project was in the works. But I remember you talking about how from when you said yes to you then had to go up to, to Pixar, like, immediately. Oh, yeah. To I start I, doing... Yeah, I basically said, well, I'm going to be up there for Toy Story 4. And they said, well, that's mm -hmm. great because your deadline is about two weeks after that. So, uh, yeah. It, it, was a, it was a very interesting process and a really uh, illuminating process. But it was great to work with everybody at Pixar. And they, the editors, there's some editors at Pixar who really helped get the book kind of uh, mm -hmm. in final form, as you will read it. Um, you know, I wish I, I had been in the process longer you know i, I saw it a oh, year no ago doubt. and then i and then i saw it at the premiere a couple of weeks ago so that was it i wish i could have sort of seen it 
transform. Because even when I was doing the interviews, they were saying, oh, it's different than the version you saw yesterday. It's like, Mm -hmm. okay, all right. And speaking of which, what you told me is that what when you saw it, there were literally what two scenes that had been animated. Yeah, and I the think rest two scenes. Yeah, was in boards. Yeah, and I was really worried because it was like, oh boy, I'm going to have a hard time even talking to people about this if I can't if I don't know what it looks like. Mm-hmm. So um, it was a beautiful movie in storyboards. So I was so mm-hmm. happy to get this assignment because it's a really special movie. You know, it's the first original Pixar film since 2017, and mm-hmm. uh, I think that means a lot. And I think the movie's going to mean a lot to people. So I'm I'm very excited to have a very very small contribution to that story. Well, no, no look, that's the thing. You you went up when people are in the middle of producing this film, and and in fact they carved out one day of interviews, and you basically went from what the director to designer to you know, and just yeah. made your way through as many members of the crew, and then you had to go home and transcribe all of those notes, and then find. In fact, that's the other thing I remember you describing. Basically, you had to create the text that went around the images that mm-hmm. had already been selected, right? Yeah. Or, I mean, what's interesting about this is the first book that's actually had an author since 2013 with Brave. So mm-hmm. I got to write a lot more than most people, uh, which is great. So I get to do the chapters and I got to do the, the captions. But yeah, it was, it was it's, a, it's a fascinating process and I loved, I loved it. It was a really wonderful uh, experience. For sure. Well, I'm not, now, speaking of which, though, okay, so you you do your part. You write the text. You mm-hmm. you hand it off to the folks at Chronicle. And then you're in literally the slow boat to China territory. Because, again, the, what, the books get printed over there and shipped back to the States. And but They're here, some, though, Jim. They're here. They made they, it. They are here. Yes. They are here. <laughs> uh, but, I, but I have to ask, one day a package shows up in the mail for you. So what was that like to actually be able to hold in your hands you know, that book. It was pretty amazing. I didn't really, I didn't know what it was. And and Katie, my wife, was like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, this is the book. Like, she knew uh, uh-huh. before we had opened it. So it was really, really exciting. I can't wait for people to, to have it, too. I mean, it's just so surreal because one of the very first books, art of books I had as a kid was the art of Toy Story book. You remember the one with the lenticular oh. cover? Yes, I, it was. A, I, it was I, I have it yeah. to this day yes. because it is so big. Yeah, whenever I put it on a bookshelf, I have to lay it on its side because right. there isn't a shelf on the planet that's that's tall enough to fit the thing. Yes, uh, the Bugs but, Life one is weirdly shaped too, but now now they've mm-hmm. kind of got it more uniform. But you know, to mm-hmm. have this sitting next to all those other great art of books that you know you and I both reference all the time uh, yep. is is a great a great feeling. Well, again, I'm just so thrilled that you had this opportunity and just I cannot wait to get my hands on it. Speaking of which, folks, I want to remind you, today is Drew's birthday. And me personally, I can think of no better present to give Mr. Taylor than if all of us to either go out to our local bookstores and buy a physical copy of The Art of Arnwood, or if you're kind of concerned about the coronavirus, you know, just hop on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com and order yourself a copy of this handsome hardcover and Speaking of the coronavirus, Drew, you know, as longtime listeners of Fine Tuning will know, this isn't the only podcast that you do. You do the Light the Fuse show, which is about the Mission Impossible film franchise and the original series. And we were just talking on our last episode about how, what is it, Mission Impossible 7 had begun shooting in Venice, but... All that changed like five days ago, right? Yeah. I mean, they shut down production, sent everybody home. 
Tom wasn't out there yet, so he stayed mm-hmm. here. But okay. yeah, I mean, it's the only thing that can stop Mission Impossible is the coronavirus. It's not, mm-hmm. not, nothing else. But I worry about the release date. You know, there's a lot of questions going on. I think they're using this time to really finish fine-tuning Top Gun 2, which okay. a lot of the same people are involved in. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting. But we got a lot of great shows coming up, so so listen. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And, again, the language that Paramount is using at this point is temporary shutdown. Yes. Production has been suspended but not yeah. not canceled. All right. Well, I, I, I guess, again, that cover entertainment is one thing you can count on is change. And speaking of change, you know, again, and just in the past week, we had Bob Iger. Effective immediately from Monday, February 24th, Bob announced that he's stepping down as chairman and CEO of the Walt Disney Company and handing the reins over to Bob Chapek, who previously had been chairman of Disney Parks, Products, and Experiences. And and I th- we were just talking about, it's weird that Bob isn't leaving. He's staying through the end of 2021. As he explains it, what, he's focusing on Disney's creative endeavors and working under the title of executive chairman. Yeah. Now, what, you, what a weird day, Jim, that was. Well, and now, didn't you write a piece for Collider just last week, you know, sort of explaining... Yeah. Bob Chapek's history with the company and his background and that sort of thing. And yeah, people don't don't really know who he is besides freaks like you and me. So I mm-hmm. kind of wanted to bring him up and and sort of elevate his profile a little bit, um, at mm-hmm. least so that you get an understanding of what to expect, maybe from the next few years of Disney. I don't know. It's it's very interesting. But yeah, that's on Collider right now. And um, mm-hmm. you know, this is a guy that started in home video. Um, well. It's interesting you bring that up. I, I, of course, again, just pivoted and began digging down in, into his career. And and Chapek actually takes great pride in the work that he did in the Air Bud, Air Buddies, Santa Paws thing for home entertainment. And I was kind of surprised. There have been, what, there were the initial two theatrical releases for Air Bud, and then there were three home premieres. Then seven Air Buddy home premieres, and then two Santa Paws movies, and yeah, I was working in a video store during this period, mm-hmm. Jim. And every time a new one would come in, it would be like mm-hmm. there, there's really another one, you know, Spooky Buddies, and you know, mm-hmm. all these other spin. I mean, it was it, it never ended, Jim. Well, well, but the reason that was is they were, I, I guess, they cost nothing to shoot. They always shot them in Canada. You know, pulled the films together religiously low budget, and they'd always sell because you know, cute little, especially the the Air Buddies one, and they'd always return a tidy profit, which was why you know, virtually is one's out the door, the next one's going. Um, but uh, again, we we were just talking about the coronavirus. But do, do you remember that story from uh, February of two thousand eight when they were, I guess, shooting Snow Buddies, and you know, word came out that I guess Parvo virus had swept the set in Vancouver and they lost, I guess, five of the puppies. And PETA claimed that as many as 40 or 50 of the puppies that they use over the course of shooting a film like that had been affected by the virus. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> Par- that Parvo up. is no joke. That, that's yeah. when you, when you get a dog these days, that's something mm-hmm. that you really have to keep an eye on. So mm-hmm. I, I had not heard that story, but I now having a puppy of my own, it's, uh, I know how, how serious it is. 
Well, and and wasn't it like just last week they were talking about how a dog in Hong Kong had tested positive for for corona? So, well, the theory is that the coronavirus came from somebody eating animal meat. Uh, and I, my so. dog was is a meat market dog, so I know all about this stuff. Oh, uh, <laughs> she's off the menu. She's off the menu, Jim. There we go. There <laughs> we go. Okay, just to circle back to Mr. Chapek, so he reportedly played a very large role in the launch of, of Disney Plus, a subscription streaming service, which is uh, Disney's answer to Netflix. Now, uh, speaking of Netflix, you were talking about Guillermo del Toro's Wizards of Arcadia? Yes. Is that right? Yeah, he tweeted okay. uh, last week that it will be coming summer 2020, mm-hmm. which I'm very excited about because I feel like it's been forever since uh, Three Below ended. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you caught up on the on these series, Jim? <laughs> I, I literally just finally sat down and watched Farmageddon. Which, by the way, you you were right. Absolutely charming, and really is the modern equivalent of a silent film. It's I, you so know, good. That, I think the the only time you really get anybody sort of talking is the the farmer. Uh-huh. And he basically, you know. You know <laughs> uh, on the other hand, also watched at this point. I've seen two of the episodes of Star Wars: Clone Wars season seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have to ask, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking with Dan Z later this week to find out why there, you know, especially at a moment where you're bringing, you know, a lot of folks in the door, they started with the storyline that is so inside baseball mm-hmm. for Star Wars. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the animation. The art direction is amazing. Good voice work. But I'm now getting concerned about, or supposed to get concerned about Captain Rex and you know, and his his friend who got captured and Echo something. You know, I mean that that's always the story they tell about New Hope is that Lucas deliberately picked that story because it was the easiest entry point, right, to to the Star Wars universe. And I feel like with this one, it's like, okay, this is an episode. In effect, I saw a couple pieces online to the effect of these are the ten episodes you have to watch of Star Wars Clone Wars before you watch season seven. And it's just sort of like, I don't want to do homework before I yeah. watch animation. It's really so. weird that they chose that the story. Mm. I guess this. What's interesting, too, is that the first episode has been released before mm-hmm. in 2015 in the Lost Episodes, but in animatic really? form. Yeah. So they're oh, just that's really. Right. That's, right. that's right. Yeah. yeah. So your qualms remind me of, uh, have you been watching Picard on CBS All Access? I, I have been cheating. I'm, I'm waiting till they finish so I can sit and binge it all. Okay. Well, uh, talk about something I, that is not designed for anybody who has even a passing understanding of Star Trek. I mean, there yeah. it is full of so many deep cuts, and it's like, this is really your approach? You're paying, mm-hmm. you're paying uh, what's his name, $10 million an episode, and this is how you're <laughs> inviting people back? Patrick Stewart, yeah. So anyway. Uh, all right. So now to double back to Guillermo. So Wizards of Arcadia, so we, we know it's coming mm-hmm. in 2020, but you had heard that, Potentially on the other side of the series, there's there's a movie. Yeah, I'd heard I heard this for a little while now, and then actually, mm-hmm. somebody who listens to the show <laughs> stopped me mm-hmm. in a Target. They were like, "Not theatrical, man, not theatrical." So I'd been okay. speculating about whether it would be like that 
spirit writing free movie and mm-hmm. actually go theatrical, but it is not. It is going to be on Netflix, but it mm-hmm. will culminate in the whole world. And um, I am a huge fan of all of these all these shows, so I'm I'm very okay. excited. Well, uh, while we're talking Netflix and animation, of course, we, we've talked previously on the show about Hilda, uh, which is returning for a second season at some point on Netflix. I'm, I'm hearing late 2020, but the reason I bring this up is just last month, they had Toy Fair down at the Javits Center, the, the worst convention center in the history of the world. And uh, among the things that were on display there were the Hilda toys and collectibles that Gund and Silvergate will be putting on our store shelves later this year. We need that, we ta- need that little deer creature. That's all. I, that's all we need. Her little <laughs> cohort. Or whatever. No, that's very cute. Well, in fact, I, I think I saw somebody's done plush of that. Have you been watching Kippo and the Wonder Beasts on Netflix yet? Not yet. Okay. Not yet. I, right, it, we'll do a catch up episode. Okay. <laughs> I just got Clone Wars done. <laughs> um, well, and, and speaking of convention centers and large places that people meet, you know, a good chunk of LA was at the Staples Center this past Monday, the 24th, for Kobe Bryant's memorial service. And did you see that story that sort of came out last week? Bruce W. Smith, the he's the creator of The Proud Family and also worked on Hair Love. How I guess he and the Sergio Pablos, the the uh, creator director of Netflix, Klaus, uh, had dinner with Kobe a few weeks ago, and they were discussing. I, I guess Bryant wanted to set up an animation studio yeah. and w- was trying to convince these two guys to come over and do projects for his studio. And and while we're talking about Bruce, you must have seen the Disney Plus announcement that the Proud Family is being revived. And uh, what is it? The Proud Family, uh, louder and prouder. And it's headed to Disney Plus. Uh, I guess Ralph uh, Farquhar, who also uh, did the show with Bruce, is back on board as well. But it's it's been 18 years now since we've had new episodes. And Louder uh, and prouder, Jim. Louder and prouder. Uh, yeah. It'll be interesting because members of the Proud family can't go on Instagram and complain about their show going to Hulu instead, you know, so. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Lizzie. I know Lynn is a big Lizzie McGuire fan, which is, you know, maybe deserves some investigation all its own, but it looks like that's having some some problems now, but hopefully they get back on track and we get to see it sooner rather than later. Yeah. Well, well, speaking of Disney+, Plus, in a moment we're going to talk about a movie that's about to make its debut on Disney+. Plus. Okay, we were just talking about Onward, and this news broke over the weekend or thereabouts, but for the first time ever, you know, when a Pixar film comes out, there's not going to be, uh, well, the first time since Toy Story, the original Toy Story, there's not going to be a Pixar short in front of it. Well, there wasn't a Pixar short in front of Toy Story 4. That's an interesting point. Um, <laughs> was that deliberate? I think so. And if there wasn't one in front of Coco, because not to bring up the uh, Frozen Christmas uh, special in the fiasco of 2017, uh, but that was in front of that. I don't think there was... I'm trying to think if there was even something in front of Cars 3. Hmm. So... They've been sort of allocating that short film real estate now for Disney Plus. Which was the the one lost and found? The Lou. Lou. Did, did, oh yes, did Lou, Lou was in front to... of Lou was in front of Cars, and Bow okay. was in front. Uh, what was Bow in front of? Incredible. Incredibles two? two. Yes. 
Well, all right. Sorry, folks. We're, we're getting in the weeds here. But uh, what, what's going to be out in front of Onward is a Simpsons short. A, I guess it's called Playdate with Destiny. And Onward arrives in theaters this Friday, March 6th. But again, this is Disney really leaning into that we are going to make use of 20th century's animation assets. In fact, I was just at the Disney store this past Friday, and I got to tell you, Drew, it was a little strange to be standing in there and, and you know, how they have that in-store video loop, which touches on every single theme park and mm-hmm. cruise line. And, and in the middle of this here is an extended clip from Spies in Disguise. And I guess the, the Blu-ray and DVD of that goes on sale March 10th. But the big news is that Ice Age, Blue Sky's very first animated feature, which was released to theaters way back in March of 2002, that debuts, uh, in fact, as a, as a birthday present, Drew, it, it's on Disney Plus as of today. Oh, and, yay. You know, well, I know we mentioned earlier that the Easter special from 2016, the Ice Age, the greatest eggscapade has been airing there for a while. And um, I thought we might take a few minutes to talk about how a lot of people seem to have forgotten the big part that Ice Age played in what happened at, at feature animation in the early 2000s. And in fact, in a weird sort of way, it was a very significant domino that when that one fell, there were layoffs, there were significant staff changes. And and this was all because of its opening weekend. Ice Age had been projected to make just $30 million. And the film actually wound up selling $46.3 million worth of tickets domestically over that opening weekend. And now to put that in perspective, that right off the bat, put Ice Age in a very significant position. If you're comparing opening weekends, there are only two other films, animated films, that made more money than that. Or in, and again, this in this window of time, the late 1990s, early 2000s. And Monsters, Inc., which came out in November of 2001, that sold $62 million worth of tickets over its opening weekend. And then there was the Toy Story 2, uh, which came out in November of 99, and that sold... 57.4 million tickets. So to have Ice Age come out and sell 46 million worth of tickets over its opening weekend, that really caught Disney's attention. And look, given your time at Oh My Disney and, and you know, you had to work with all of the different franchises. And did, did you ever try to get anything going with you know, some of the films that were made during this era? Like, Treasure Planet or Atlantis the Lost Empire? Yeah, I mean, I did a, I thought I did a really fun piece about Mike Mignola's designs for Atlantis the Lost Empire. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. I I was, I think I'm the only, one of the only people that has actually gotten him to talk about that at length. Mm -hmm. And then anytime we did anything Treasure, there's a very dedicated Treasure Planet following. Um, And as there should be, it's a good movie. Yeah. But, you know, let's face it, when that came out in theaters, that very same year, the Ice Age comes out in March of 2002, Treasure Planet comes out in November of that year, and it cost Disney $140 million to make. And its opening weekend, it only sold, and again, this is in all of North America, $12 million in tickets. Ooh. And... Wasn't it like that they report the box office on, on Monday and I guess Tuesday? Didn't they take like a, a $75 million write-down on the movie? Ooh. 
Oh, yikes. Oh. I didn't realize it was that big of a flop, but. Well, you know, I think honestly, it wasn't so much that it was that big of a flop. It was the fact that it had opened on, on what, the exact same day as Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, which, you know, obviously dominated the box office. And, you know, there was just this feeling at Disney that we're out of touch. You know, we're, you know, and I think I'm going to Treasure Planet is still a movie that holds up. I enjoyed it the first time I watched it. I, you know, whatever it's on. I mean, mind you, I'm sure there were people at Disney who wish that they had been able to actually get Sean Connery to do the voice of, of Long John Silver. You know, I, I don't know if that would have helped sell tickets. But, you know, even by this point, though, when... To double back to March of 2000, when Ice Age came out, 10 days after that movie was released to theaters was when word came down that they were going to have yet another massive layoff at Disney. And the weird thing, Drew, is Disney had been downsizing since January of 1999. That was when... Peter Schneider, uh, who had been in charge of animation at Disney since, what, as far back as Little Mermaid? Yeah. Uh, yeah, he got moved over to handling all of Walt Disney Studios. And his good right arm, Tom Schumacher, took over the making of animated features. And, you know, don't get me wrong, Tom has done some amazing work. He actually left Disney in January of 2003, or, or rather left Disney Animation and went over to run what was then known as Buena Vista Theatrical Group, the folks who do the shows for Broadway. But he wasn't necessarily a movie guy. I mean, in fact, have you ever heard that story about where Don Hahn, Kirk Weiss, and Gary Trousdale go in um, to to sell, you know, you know that th they've been already working on Atlantis since, you know, they completed Hunchback. And so, you know, you know, sitting down with the new boss and bringing him up to speed about the film they're working on. And so they, they basically start to pitch off with, you know, well, this is kind of a Ray Harryhausen movie. And, you know, Schumacher interrupts them and it's like, well, who's Ray Harryhausen? <laughs> that explains that explains a lot, Jim. Yeah. It just, it kind of breaks your heart. But anyway, uh, to get back, when, when Schneider leaves, Disney at that point has 2,200 employees working in feature animation in Burbank, in Paris, Orlando. And, you know, let's not forget about the studios that are doing the direct-to-video stuff in, in Canada and Australia mm -hmm. and the like, uh, in Japan. Anyway, Eisner at this point is looking at how since Lion King, you know, there's been this, you know, that was the peak earner for Disney in the 1990s. But if you go from Pocahontas to Hunchback to Hercules, almost it looks like a set of stairs, you know, if you, you put the grosses next to one another. You know, look, Tarzan sort of reversed that trend. But at the same time, Eisner was kind of reading the handwriting on the wall and, you know, sat down with Schumacher and said, you have to lower head count. We have to and also, more to the point, you have to be the guy who, when we signed all those contracts, you know, those rock star contracts with animators back in 94, 95 to keep them from going to DreamWorks with Jeffrey, you have to renegotiate salaries with these guys and, and get them to cut their, their pay that we've agreed to give them by 30 to as much as 50%. Anyway, long story short, he manages to reduce the headcount 
from 2200 to 1300. But as soon as Ice Age comes out, and again, within 10 days, word comes down, they're going to cut another 300 people to bring it down to 1,000 employees. And then, um, as I mentioned, January 2003, Schumacher, you know, once again, is asked by Eisner, you know, we need to make some additional cuts, especially on the heels of what just happened with Treasure Planet. And Schumacher, who had been part of the team that had built up Walt Disney Animation Studios to the point that they could make movies like Lion King and, you know, Hunchback and, and the like, it's just he couldn't do it. So that's the thing. It's like, you know what? I'm just going to go over to theatrical and you're going to have to bring somebody else in here to do that. And that's when they bring in David Staten, uh, who I'm, I'm sure you remember, Drew. Yeah. Uh, you know, not a, uh, not a not a beloved figure in the history of Walt Disney Animation Studios, but yeah. Well, 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 think about it. They they announce you know that Schumacher's leaving, and that Staten again previously the the head of Walt Disney Television Animation. And, you know, in fact, in a weird sort of way, I'm sure he and Chapek must have worked together quite a bit because uh, the David had previously done a lot of the home premieres, the, the sequels like uh, Return to Neverland, and. You know, he's he's installed January 2003, and it's nine days later. He's down in Orlando and lets the staff at Walt Disney Feature Animation Florida know that they're closing the studio. You know, that in four months' time, they're going to shut it down and that only a handful of folks are going to have jobs going forward because the new plan is that Disney Animation Studio is cutting back to just one production unit, and they're all going to be based in Burbank. And I, I think Markin was literally like one of three or four people who got that offer and then went back to California. Yeah, although Chris Sanders was one of them too, who just did Call of the Wild, the uh, very uh, expensive yeah. Call of the Wild. Um, uh, there were there were a few. Byron Howard uh, was from Florida. That's right. That's um, right, but did, but you think about the the very projects that they were working on. I mean, get, ultimately, Chris leaves the company because that's when Lasseter comes through the door. Yeah. Uh, Lasseter doesn't want to make American Dog. That's how he wound up with Bolt. And poor Byron, isn't Byron the one who was doing My Peoples? Oh, was he involved with my? I didn't remember I'm, him doing. I don't. Who was involved with my peoples? I mean, that we should do a whole episode on my peoples. No, no, definitely. That that's actually one of the saddest stories because there's so much. You know, in fact, if you if you Google my peoples, a few good ghosts. What is it? Angel and her no good sister. Because this mm-hmm. thing had like three or four different names. There's actually, I want to say, like upwards of like ten minutes of animation. Oh yeah. Uh, There's also you know, there was also that book that Disney actually put out. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. which Dinner, didn't have as much art as you would want, but it was pretty no. pretty no, interesting. Barry Cook. Uh Barry, Barry Cook. Cook. There yeah. we go. There we go. The other thing that Staten basically put out there was that they had two films that were moving forward that were too far along in production really to shut down at that point. You had Brother Bear, which was going to be out in theaters October of two thousand three, and you had Home on the Range, which was going to arrive in theaters in April of 2004. But at that point, Disney was out of the hand-drawn business. In fact, starting in October of 2005 with the release of Chicken Little, Disney was going to do only CG films so it could then 
be on a more competitive footing with DreamWorks Animation and Blue Sky. Of course, all of that changes in January 2006 when Disney buys Pixar for you know $7.4 billion. And I want to say David Staten literally left that week, didn't he? I, you know, yeah. they, they made the deal and he was out the door. At some point, speaking of things we have to do deep dives about, you know, especially now that we're, you know, we're in the post John Lasseter era, there's so much stuff that we can now talk about that John was behind. Like, remember when it was like Disney made hand-drawn films or computer animated films? Mm-hmm. But, or excuse me, Disney made traditionally animated films yes. and computer animated films. And then... When John came through the door, suddenly the language changed. Now it was hand-drawn films and CG films, right? Yes, I remember that. Yeah. I don't really understand that or what the distinction is, but you could tell he he was just about, like, the process of making the movies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But but again, I, I think John took offense to the fact that one was traditional. You know, what did that make computer animation? Right. But anyway, it wasn't till March of 2007 that, you know, John was on stage in New Orleans and basically confirmed that Disney was, in fact, back in the hand-drawn business. And at that point, they were going to be making The Princess and the Frog. Oh, excuse me. No, The the Frog Princess, right? With with Maddie the Maid. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how all that changed before that movie came out in, in December of 2009. And, and then, of course, we got Winnie the Pooh out in theaters in July of 2011. And to double back now to Treasure Planet, and again, remember, released to theaters November 2002, uh, you know, head-to-head with Chamber of Secrets and what that did uh, to that movie. What do you make of the fact that Winnie the Pooh, out of all the release dates that were available... (laughs) I was just about to say that, Jim. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. The the fact that Disney put it out head-to-head with Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2, the eighth and final film. The most anticipated movie probably that year. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I cannot believe it. I mean, I've heard since that Dick Cook hated Winnie the Pooh and just wanted to kill it. So... Well, Take that as you, know, you will, but yeah. Well, I, no, I, I, I get that, but face it. It also gave Disney a get-out-of-jail-free card in regard to hand-drawn. You know, let's face it, you know, Princess and the Frog had a huge promotional campaign. Remember how they, they did showings on the lot? You yeah. know, that, that two weeks out ahead of the, the, the actual theatrical release, you could buy a package and go on the Disney lot, and there was... Didn't they also show it at, in New York at like Roseland or? Yeah, um, I remember I saw it in a in a screening in Times Square, and mm-hmm. after every musical number, people applauded, mm-hmm. and it was like this mm-hmm. is going to be a hit, you know. And that was the thing that it didn't do the numbers that Disney anticipated. In the end, you know, just sort of like okay, we made a try at reviving hand drawn, and and let's face it, there was this interesting period where they were trying to figure out. If Disney now is just doing CG films, what makes a Disney computer animated film different than a Pixar animated film? And it almost took till, I want to say, Tangled before it felt like they finally they found it. I mean, face it, Bolt, you know, really could have been a Pixar film. What I find fascinating now is that Chicken Little, you know, gets absolutely no love 
at the company. You know, it's just sort of like, you know, that this is our attempt at a DreamWorks film, not a Pixar movie. Right. You know, you know, just sort of like, Ugh. anyway, to, to, to swing back to Ice long story short, folks, because of what happened back in March of 2002, when Ice Age came out and that started the next wave of layoffs at Walt Disney Animation Studios. There were still folks who were working for Disney who were fired and some folks who were still in the building who still have, you know, kind of a chip in their shoulder when it comes to Manny the Mammoth because they feel like that's the movie that killed my career, which again, isn't true. You know, as we mentioned, you know, when uh, Tom Schumacher replaced Peter Schneider, Michael Eisner told him he had to reduce that headcount. So, you know, again, we went from 2,200 people who worked for feature animation worldwide to 1,300. And, but I, I guess that's the thing that I find so fascinating is that these guys now have to face the fact that Disney owns the Ice Age characters. In fact, you're aggressively getting back in the Ice Age business. I don't know if you've been hearing the same things I've been hearing, Drew, about the Blue Sky is basically under orders to, to come up with a story for another Ice Age film. Well, they didn't come up with a story for the last few Ice Age films, so <laughs> I don't know if this is going to be much of a challenge. <laughs> yeah, yeah we're, getting, we're getting invited to that junk, folks. Um, now, what's kind of interesting is that consumer products, they, evidently they're having meetings about it's time to bring to your, your local Disney store the Manny the Mammoth plush and, and Sid and, and Diego, you know, that, that those characters are going to show up in, in some form within the next year or so. And I think we've talked previously about uh, Imagineering has been given its marching orders about figuring out how to get those characters back into the parks. So uh, irony, Drew, is, you know, spring will be here in 20 days, but the Ice Age is unending, at least as far as, as Disney Company is concerned. And so get ready for more Mammoth, folks. Um, okay, speaking of stuff that's lingering, though, um, <laughs> Drew, obviously, it, again, it's your birthday. You have more important things to do than record a podcast, so we, we should shut this down so you can go do fun stuff with Katie and Nova the Wonder Dog. Uh, but again, folks, remember, if you want to wish Drew a very happy birthday, do it by buying a copy of his first ever book, The Art of Onward, which Chronicle Books is officially publishing on March 3rd, this Tuesday. And again, we already talked about the situation in Venice, and, but you were mentioning that you've got some great stuff oh, coming Oh, we've up. got some big heavy hitters, Jim. I, I'm going to just put it out there right now. We just talked to Marianne Brandy and Mary Jo Markey, who did the editing for Mission Impossible 3. Marianne just edited a little movie called Rise of Skywalker, uh, which we get into a little bit, um, which is very illuminating. But it was an amazing conversation. And we've got some really great guests this week, too, lined up, all heading towards our 100th episode. Hopefully we're going to have something special for that. So, um, But, Jim, I also wanted to say that you, you left out a very funny story from your Ratatouille episode with Len, which Ooh, is... What? Remember when that when the model for the ride was in that like bank somewhere? Oh yeah, yes, it is. Yeah, <laughs> yes, mm -hmm. that it was because that was when Disneyland Paris was being controlled by those banks, and there yeah. was a full model of the attraction like years before it was actually built um, in some bank in in Paris, which I think is so yeah. funny. 
Yeah. But again, to explain the situation, because again, what was it? 94, Frank Wells makes the deal with, you know, all the banks that own all of the debt for the Euro Disney Resort. One of the conditions was when they did any expansions that they had to have, because they, they had basically push back on the, okay, we'll, we'll let you figure out a few years about the debt. Shareholders had the right to you know, review any expansions, any new attractions, and vote about whether or not they want to go forward with this. So from that point forward, I kept trying, you know, whenever they do, like when they did their Tower of Terror, it's like, okay, where's the bank lobby that has the model of Tower <laughs> of Terror? You know? And, uh, I love uh, that. Yeah, you know, the downside of Disney now taking over, you know, what it, it, it was it year year before last where they bought that remaining 75% of the stock that was outstanding. So now it's it's privately held, so you know, we're not going to get quite as much information. Though did you just see last week that they did that story about Arendale? Yes. That's being built. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, what what is it? They they're going to have the Arendelle Castle, there's going to be the mountain with Elsa's palace in the background. and But I guess the thing that most intrigued me was the notion that the seaport that Arendelle is going to be uh, built around, from day one, that's built to basically have a world of color type show yeah. right in the lagoon space. So yeah. It'll be interesting uh, to see if any of this stuff gets built or if the coronavirus wipes those plans out as well. But Yeah, let's remember, folks, that you know in 2008... You know, I, I still remember getting called from, you know, friends who were working at Walt Disney World where they had the portal. And I guess by accident, you know, somebody in Glendale put the wrong file up on the portal and it was the two minute long coming soon to the parks uh, or coming soon to at Disney Hollywood Studios was the Monsters, Inc. Scream Coaster. Right. Uh, and, you know, when the financial correction happened in 2008, that went off the table. Uh, uh, Hyperion Wharf, you know, that fell off the table. So, yeah, people need to be aware that, you know, that's the other thing with this, the coronavirus, that uh, a lot of this stuff could be, you know, that's been announced may not happen. So, right. <coughs> cherry tree lane. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jim, you had something in your throat there. There we go. Okay. <laughs> but but on the other hand, we'll cover some of this stuff on some of the other podcasts over yes. at Jim Hillmeter. Disney Dish with Lentesta, looking at Lucasfilm with Dan Z. Uh, I want that with Michelle Valladolid. Marvelous Disney with Aaron Adams, gentleman who does a lot of editing here. And of course, the show I do with Dustin Fuse, Universal Joint. Tell you what, folks, if you could do Drew and I a favor and head on over to iTunes and rate and recommend not only fine tuning, but also uh, light the fuse, which again, going to have some cool uh, Rise of the Resistance stories. There's going to be Rise of Skywalker. Oh, I Rise hate of that Skywalker. Them that yes, close. I know. Okay. But on the other hand, if you really, really, really like what we do here, if you get over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be great. And again, Light the Fuse has a social media presence, right? Yes, we're on Twitter, Instagram, everything. Go go follow us. And uh, okay. yeah, I hope we have some stuff to announce on this podcast soon, too. Um, this is true. For everybody, this is yeah. True. Okay. And speaking of social media, uh, you can find us over at Twitter and Instagram on, under Jim Hill Media, one word. And then over at Facebook at Jim Hill Media News, all one word. So. All right, I, I think that'll do it for today, folks. And 
And again, on behalf of the people who will be writing to me about Treasure Planet, I liked the movie. I really did. It just, it almost shut down feature animation. But <laughs> that, that's a story for another time. Yes. Right. 